morning. All right, grab your Bibles, have a seat, and go to Romans 4. It's good to be back. Pastor Chris did a great job last week. I, I tuned in while on vacation and was able to, to really get something. I don't know if you were here last week. Um, you, you, you got the blessing. If not, go back and look at it. I really kept thinking again and again through the week as I was praying through some things and asking God to give me some clarity on things about that one statement that the king has another move. Amen. And I hope you've applied that to some area of your life. Um, we're actually gonna go into Romans 4 because I believe there's, there's a movement that needs to be squashed and there needs to be a, a pickup of something that is really true and really powerful in the word of God that a lot of times we kind of go away from and, and, and get away from because we are in a performance-based society. And so we believe that the way that other people view us and treat us is the same way that God views us and treats us, and that is not true. In the, in the world you live in, people want to be impressed by you. They, they want from you. Have you noticed that? They're, they're always looking at what you do and what you can give and what you can. In God's mind, he is looking for your belief. He's looking for your faith. So we were in the ocean this past week, and, and um, it's where this passage came from. Kept echoing in my mind. I listened to the sermon last week, and then we were sitting out there, and, and, and as the week went on, the water got rougher. And if you know me, uh, number one, I, I have great anxiety when it comes to um, things that could hurt me, all right? And so I, I've walked, watched way too many weeks of Shark Week to be able to enjoy the ocean and, and not have on my mind that Jaws did happen, right, in our 90s lives, right? Um, for those of you who go back and... And so, and most of the time when I'm in the ocean with my kids, I got my back to the shore and my eyes on the water and I'm looking for a fin. And there's that ever so often occasion that a dolphin decides to show itself. And that first time it shows up, I freak out, right? Like, what is that? But I noticed something uh, as the week went on, the waves started crashing. When the water's still, Lincoln won't get in. He has no fun and no pleasure in that glass water. That's the one I like the most especially when you can see through it and you know what's in the water with you. Can I get an amen from somebody in the room? But Lincoln gets bored and keeps saying he wants to go back. He wants to go back. He wants to go back. But when the waves get higher and they start to roll in, Lincoln, his adventure kicks in and he wants to be in the water. So I noticed something like my freak out kicks in, my helicopter parent kicks in and I, I want to be close to them. And there was this moment uh, a few days ago where we were standing there and um, I literally tied a rope to Lincoln's raft because Lincoln's gonna go find the roughest current and he's gonna ride the wave. And every time he'd get in the wave and it'd start to go away, I had this probably eight to 10 foot rope and I would just pull them back. Rope burns, little fibers in my hands at the end of the day. Um, and, and, and Jordan was like, I don't know why you do that. But in my mind, it's like, I've got to keep him safe. How many of you as a parent have that go through your mind at some point? I've got to keep him safe. Um, you know, and, and, and the reality, it's not me that keeps them safe anyway. I train safety, but God is the provider of safety, right? And so um, there was about an hour that he was in the water solid. And if you know Lincoln, you know that that's not normal. He doesn't do anything longer than about 10, 15 minutes, and then he moves to the next thing, and he's always finding the next adventure. But for an hour this day, he was in that water, and, and believe me, the next day I had to take like all kinds of like pain medicine because I was in such pain from pulling him back because I don't work out ever, and that was the biggest workout, but that dude had a smile plastered to his face the whole time. But as I'm standing there, I'm pulling him back, I look over to the shore, and here comes my daughter. She's goggled up, floaties on, and ready to go. And so now it's like, how do I protect both? And then right after that, here comes my wife with my one and a half year old. 
And I'm like, this is, this is not a good day. And I'm standing there, my anxiety is going through the roof, and then I notice something. Lincoln is having the time of his life. Canaan is fearless and ready to go. The week before, um, uh, her uncle Nathan had his little scuba gear on, and he was, he was doing some snorkeling, and, um, and, and, and he went deep, and she saw it from the shore, so she grabbed her goggles, and she went, and next thing you know, I'm sitting on the shore watching my daughter do belly flops face down in the deep ocean. That's deep for her, twice the size of her head probably, and, 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 and having a blast. And I see my son, Grayson, falling asleep on the waves as they come rolling in, and Lincoln enjoying them, and it hits me. What I'm freaking out about, they're finding peace in and joy. And while I'm standing there in a panic, they're having the time of their lives. And then it hit me. It's because we're there. It's because there's an adult present. Canaan kept saying, you said I can't go in the water without a parent. And Grammy's in the water and she's a parent. (laughs) You said I can't go in the water without a parent. Grampy's in the water, he's a parent. You're a parent, let's go in the water. And I thought to myself, you know, the Bible says if we're going to come to God, we have to have the faith of a what? A child. And that faith says, okay, look, this is fun because I trust your presence with me in this moment. And they can ride the waves and find comfort and peace. And they can, they can enjoy the waves and have these moments that are bringing up the, the memories that will last a lifetime. And, and while I'm in total fear of what's going on around, they're in total peace because the presence of a parent is there. And I believe God said to me right in that moment, why are you so afraid in this area, this area, this area, and this area of your life? It's not because of what's going on around you. It's you forgot the presence of your parent. You forgot that I'm with you. We just sang this song and it, it wasn't even scripted. It wasn't even on our list to sing today. He won't fail, right? He won't fail. And I don't know what you're going through and I don't know what waves are crashing around you. We did learn from Peter that you can walk on water in the middle of a storm, but you can also sink in that storm even with Jesus walking right near you because you get your eyes off of his presence and onto the presence of the stuff around you. And what happens? You sink and you fall. Matter of fact, if you look, go with me to our text in, in Romans chapter number four, you, you, you see that in verse number 13, it said, clearly God's promise to give the whole earth to Abraham and his descendants was based not on his obedience to God's law, but on a right relationship with God that comes by what? Faith. If God's promise is only for those who obey the law, then faith is not necessary and the promise is pointless. For the law always brings punishment on those who try to obey it. The only way to avoid breaking the law is to have no law to break. What's he saying? What's what's Paul writing here? He's simply writing and he's telling us that, hey, you're going to mess up. You're going to fall short. You know why? Because there are rules out there. There are things out there that, that, that he has written and declared, thou shalt not. How many of you know the Ten Commandments, right? You shouldn't do this. You shouldn't do this. You shouldn't do this. You should keep God here. You should have a Sabbath. There's things that you shouldn't and things that you should, and God puts those out there, and here's what he says. Because those exist, you're gonna break them, and the only way you're not gonna break a law is if those didn't exist. And he's saying today that your effort and the things that you do are not what's gonna make you right with him. The the, the keeping of the law doesn't fix it. And for everybody who wants to argue it, you cannot argue chapter number four of Romans. And law people do not wanna hear Romans chapter number four. 
Because in Romans 4, God declares this truth that, hey, that does nothing for you. Faith in me is what matters. That's his declaration. Look at this. He goes on and he says, so the promise is received by faith, verse 16. It is given as a free gift, and, and, and we are all certain to receive it whether or not we live according to the law of Moses. I am so thankful today. Yeah, I, by the way, if you've ever been judged or you've ever had condemnation on your life, thank God for that verse right there. That, that, that what you receive in the grace of God is not based on your actions. It's based on what God did in reaction to the sin problem that we would have. And he sent his son and gave us a gift. And now whether or not you've been able to keep the law or disobey the law, it does not matter. It's by faith you are made right with God. Matter of fact, how many of you have heard this verse? Without faith, it's impossible to please God. Now, I, I, I hear people say, well, faith without works is dead. Yes, but faith is what brings the work. I mean, if you believe in something, you'll do something for it. I mean, I want you to close your eyes because your boss might be in the room, right? Close your eyes real quick. Don't look around. Let me ask you a question. How many of you love your job? All right, that's, that's half. How many of you don't hate it, but it isn't like the dream job? Slip your hand up in the, in the air. Anybody like that? All right, now this is where everybody keep your eyes closed. How many of you hate your job? All right, but why do you go? Look at me, whether you love it, whether you tolerate it, or you hate it, you go with the promise of what? Look at me, what is it? A paycheck, all right? So do, do I go do the work because I want to do the work, or do sometimes I go do the work because I gotta pay the bills, right? And so I, I, I'm gonna tell you this right now, like not, not every day do you want to do the things that God has told you to do, but why do you do it? Because you believe in God. I have a belief that if I work hard, then God is the rewarder of those that diligently seek him. I believe that as I seek God and I work on my faith and I strengthen my faith and I, I believe in him more and I trust in him more, then, then God brings a reward to that faith. But without the belief in God, the belief in knowing who God is, there's no faith at all. And therefore, if you don't believe you're going to get a paycheck from your job at the end of the week, would you go to work? No. You would stay home, find another job. The reality is this, you get up and you go in advance believing that at the end of the week they're gonna write the check. Your two week period, the check's gonna come in or if you're monthly that it's gonna be paid. I'm gonna tell you right now, when you get up and you serve God, your service of God does not dictate your relationship with God. Many will serve God and split hell wide open because God will say at the end, depart from me, I never knew you. And they will say, but Lord, Lord, we testified in your name. Your works cannot save you, but the grace of God will. You understand this? If I don't believe that his presence is with me, there's some waters I'm not getting in. If I don't believe that his presence is with me, there's some challenges that I'm not gonna get involved in. I believe today that you need to understand and we need to grab close to our hearts that with the calling of God comes challenges. With walking in righteousness comes a fight, a wrestle against an enemy who wants to destroy us, but even beyond that enemy, against your own desires that wanna drive you away. Matter of fact, the Bible says in James, when someone's tempted, don't let them say they were tempted of God. They were driven by their own desires, the things that were embedded in you. Matter of fact, you and I are the biggest ticking time bomb we know. And if I get out, my flesh gets out, my nature gets out, it's not good what happens in life. Anybody say amen, you've learned that? But if I let God invade who I am 
And, and, and in the moment that I want to say something harsh or say something mean, I keep my mouth shut and let God handle it. If I have faith that God's word is real, then I know that kindness will take me a lot further than a harsh response. I know that love will conquer a whole lot more than command and demand of others. Kindness and gentleness and tenderheartedness, forgiveness will restore relationships. And not because I can believe in what I see in the moment, but I can believe in the God I have with me in the moment. And that his word that says do this now will produce a fruit and a harvest later. How many of you have learned this to be true in your life? And if not, I hope you'll grab it. That the things you're doing today may not show fruit today, but at some point it will. And faith says, I'm going to do the hard things now, knowing that God is faithful. Faith says, I'm going to have hope in difficult situations, knowing that God does not fail, does not quit, and doesn't make false promises. I'm going to continue the work. I'm going to stay in the marriage. I'm going to keep growing the kids. I'm going to fight a culture that's after the mindset of a generation. I'm going to stand in a gap. I'm not going to surrender. I'm not going to throw up a white flag. I'm not going to back down. It may be scary and the waves may be crashing, but the God I serve tells the ocean how far it can go. He set the boundaries of it and knows its power and knows its limits. And as powerful as the ocean can be, it doesn't measure to the power that God has to rebuke it and stop it at any moment. I know this and I look at this and sometimes when we're standing here and preaching, it's like, yes, God is good. But then you get out into the oceans of life, you get out into the seas of life and what happens? We forget that the king has another move. We forget that God can maneuver things in difficult seasons and in difficult situations. And the things that bring a nap to my youngest and adventure to my oldest too and total panic to me it's not because we're in different situations. It's we have different beliefs in the situation. And I look around and I'm seeing all the jellyfish. I'm seeing that next wave coming. Matter of fact, it, it, I, I was pretty much the alarm system. Here comes another one, here comes another one, here comes another one, here comes another one. Like this jump, jump, jump. Finally, Canaan, the last day we were there, said, Daddy, stop picking me up by my body. Let me float. Let me, because this little kid, I don't know who he was. I don't know if he was a demon or an angel, all right? But we get in the water, and he's sitting there, and he's looking at my daughter, and he says, catch the wave, catch the wave. And I'm like, get out of the ocean. Like, we don't want to catch it. We want to avoid it. How many of you are like this in life? I'm this way. I see a challenge. I'd rather avoid the hardship and get to the blessing instead of enduring for a little time, instead of enjoying what's right there. Now, I don't have this big, long, scripted sermon for you today. Matter of fact, I have two sentences of notes and a lot of scripture from this passage. And if you would look and read with me, we're gonna find something and we're gonna close it pretty quick. But look at this. It says, for Abraham is the father of all who believe. In verse number 17, that is what the scripture means when it, God told him, I have made you the father of many nations. This happened because Abraham believed in the God who brings the dead back to life and creates new things out of nothing. Wow, what a verse. Remember this moment where God says to Abraham, you're going to have a baby and it's going to be, you're going to be the father of generations and 11 years goes by and not a baby. And all of a sudden you're 99, still no baby. She's 80s, 89, no baby. You're freaking out. You don't know what to do. Then all of a sudden Isaac comes along and, and what's God tell you to do? Go up a mountain. 
And the Bible says it was by faith that Abraham went up this mountain. And I I believe this verse was in Abraham's mind, that Paul was given by the Holy Spirit a glimpse of what Abraham had in mind. God had promised a generation to come from his, his, his loins. He had promised a future nation from his offspring. Abraham knew that God was not gonna break that promise. And as he took Isaac up the mountain, he had one of two beliefs, either that God was gonna miraculously do something or that God was gonna raise his son from the dead because God was not gonna break the promise he had to Abraham. And I'm telling you today, no matter how much the enemies lied to you, no matter how much your actions or the, the, the obedience or disobedience you have in your life has made you feel like you cannot get to God, God does not break his promises today. And if he calls you to a challenge, he calls you to a mountain, there's a miracle on top or a resurrection coming. He can bring things back to life or make something out of nothing. And if you are at the place of hopelessness in your life, and by the way, a good sign of your at the place of hopelessness is these two words, I can't, yeah. all right? Like, I can't do this anymore. I can't make it. I can't take it. I can't take another day. I can't hear another person. I can't work another moment. Hey, if you're at the I can't, you've lost hope. And I want you to get your eyes back on the fact that God does not need physical things to make spiritual things happen. He can make an entire universe pop into existence with a sentence. God can change your life out of the middle of nowhere. Bring an answer you've been seeking. But the ocean screams louder. Does it not? The, the challenges scream louder. One of the first things I did every single morning that I went to the ocean was I walked down. Yeah, how many of you have ever been? You walk across like this, what, I guess a boardwalk or whatever you want to call it, and then you get to the sand. And somewhere between that boardwalk and the sand, in some side of you, if you look, is a flagpole. And on that flag are the colors of representing what today's challenges are. If it's yellow, what's that mean? Anybody know? Use caution, which is always yellow. If it's red, what's that mean? Yeah, strong current. Double red, get out. All right, but red and purple, what's that mean? Yeah, jellyfish. Or as they like to put it on the sign, hazardous marine life, right? Like, it's not just jellyfish, you know? I see red and I want to run. Lincoln sees red and he sees adventure. Now, I don't know about you, but in my life, naturally, when it comes to difficult things, I'm a runner. I'm I'm not the guy that would have been written into the David story as the guy sitting there with a cheese cart saying, is there not a cause? Let's go get him. I'm the brother that's sitting there shaking in a trench, scared to death of the giant out there. By nature, if it gets hard, I want to quit. Anybody say me too? Yeah. I know that when I was younger, um, we made the news because we were in the, the Gulf Shores and, and me and my brother went out to the, the ocean and the flags were red, but we had no clue. Nobody had ever explained to us any of that. But back then, I, I've learned this, the younger I was, the less fear I had. Anybody like that? You know, like I, 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 cowboys and Indians, I, don't, I know that's not politically correct, but we played it, all right? Cops and robbers, I, I mean, I would be in the woods with sticks. Um, we played paintball, and I would literally bury myself under bushes. Now I think of bushes as the habitat for everything dangerous that could get to me, spiders and snakes and all those other things. But when I was younger, that wasn't there. It didn't exist. Like, it, it, it actually is a learned trait. It's a learned behavior, uh, I've had a couple traumatic experiences that brought in a, a total fear of strength. Matter of fact, it was during Cowboys and Indians that I got my fear of snakes because my brother told me a snake was a, a jump rope and I went to grab it and he threw a rock at it and we were face to face. 
You know, and so in there, that, that developed that. But I remember we were younger. We went out. Nobody was on the ocean. It was our last day. We had been on the beach in the middle of the summer. How many of you have ever gone in the summer? And it is ultra crowded and people everywhere. Our last day, we go out there and there is no one. But right in the distant sight, right before you can't even make out what's out there anymore, you see this huge crowd of people. But where we were was no one. And we jumped in and we started boogie boarding. I don't even know if I'm saying that right. But you grab it, you jump on it, you ride the waves. We were having the time of our lives. A helicopter came over, hovered. We were waving, screaming, came walking back in to our parents watching the news of a shark attack that had just happened right down the, 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 the beach floor. And then there we are waving at the helicopter. You know, and it's like, they were like, what did you do? We were in the water. Did you not see the flags? Well, we didn't know what they meant. And the truth is, is now there's this ultra panic in my mind anytime I see that because I go there. The last day we're there, true story, we're standing there, all of a sudden, I see these people go swimming out on boards to this huge group of people way out in the, the deep waters, uh, probably about 15 different rafts, and they're all in a circle, and I, I look at my wife, and I say, they are getting rescued. She's like, no, and then the next thing you know, here's all this emergency personnel, people swimming out, it's like watching your old real live Baywatch happen right in front of you, and they're swimming in, and in my mind, I'm like, it's time to go back to the house. But the truth is, is sometimes in faith, we are called to red flag seasons, sometimes double red flag, because we're not in this moment and in this life to just get into a comfortable rhythm. We're in this life to make a difference in the lives of others, and the only way we can make a difference in the lives of others is through the one who made a difference in us, and that's Jesus Christ. And we're not called to the easy settings, and we're not called to the easy situations. We're called to the people who are in panic and the people who are in hurt, but we have to have a faith that God is with us wherever he calls us, and God wants us to be in, in this understanding and mindset that he's always present and we know his word or we don't. And if we don't, it makes it more difficult. But if we know his word, we know that God will never call you to something he plans to be your defeat. He will call you to something he plans to help you prosper and to succeed. And through that, you're gonna help others prosper and succeed. But there are many times in life that I want to throw up that white flag. I want to throw up the hand, and I want to walk away. I want to give up. It is too hard. It's too much. I've done it too long. I've not seen the fruit. I'm done. And I believe if we're not careful, the greatest moments that we're going to experience God will be missed by the fear that keeps us from climbing the mountain. And I know that God has called you and me to great things. He has called us to, to great causes. One of them is real life here. I mean, in two weeks, we saw God go from no recovery house at Grace Community Church to fully funded and, 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 and functioning recovery house in a two-week period. And I'm telling you right now, nobody can take credit for that outside of looking at God's power and who he is. I literally put a call out to a church two weeks ago in a morning service saying we need to raise $10,000 in a week. Had a teenage girl walk up to me at the end of the service, hand me a check, and I said, thank you, sweetie. She goes, no, you really need to look at that. And it was 15 grand right after we dismissed. Another 10 came in on top of that. And you know what? There's, there, there's, I, I literally heard the guys today as they came in, and I heard their leader, Pastor DJ, say to them, how'd you sleep last night? And they said, those mattresses are amazing. And my heart exploded because for the first time, they hadn't had a slip on the leftovers of somebody, but because of the faith of God's people, they were able to sleep on something to give them comfort. And I'm telling you this now, we are not in the world to judge it, but we are in the world to say, you've been laying on your mat long enough in the name of Jesus Christ. It's time to get up and walk. It's 
It's time to get up and move. It's time to step out and do some things you've never done before. And in that, give a hand out. Is that going to be easy? No. Are hard days ahead? Yes. Are acts of faith necessary? Yes. But you'll never have a work of faith until you have a faith in the first place. To believe that with God, all things are possible. Will you say that with me? With God, all things are possible. Mary's looking at an angel saying, I'm a virgin. How? With men, this may seem impossible. Yeah, this ain't going to make sense. And by the way, the will of God that he's called you to doesn't have to make sense to anybody else but God and you. Matter of fact, let's leave, let me change that. The will of God that God has called you to doesn't have to make sense to anybody but God. It will not make sense to you. And you just got to have faith to say, okay, we're going. We're going we're gonna to trust. We're going to believe Hey, if, you're, if, you're, if your marriage is at the conversation point of divorce, will you please go on one more date? Will you please just go out again and not discuss the future nor the past, but just be in that moment. Relive and, and enjoy and embrace that moment. If you're in recovery and your tempter is screaming, no, it's because your deliverer has delivered and the tempter can't stand it and he wants to take you back because where God's taken you is way better than where you've been. And not only is God taking you, he's gonna take people that you have influence over too. You say, well, I don't know why I'm trying so hard and life is difficult. Well, congratulations, you know what it's like to be a believer now. Because the more you believe and the more you live for God and pursue God, it's, it's going to be a little bit more uncomfortable in this world. It's going to be a little bit less received in this world. It's going to be judged in this world. But greater is he that's in you than he that's in the world. For the, for the children's teacher, tired, teach again. For, for, the, for the person that's giving and giving and never getting back, hey, know this, that God will fill you up. Just make sure you're not giving more than you're going to heaven. Go to God more than you give and know that you will always have something to give. Stop going to God and continue to give and you will give out. If you have a source to refill you, then you will never go empty. And faith says, I'm going to go back to the word of God. I'm going to believe in him. I'm going to stand strong in him. I'm going to have confidence in him. No matter what's going on around me, if God can put ointment in an oil in a barrel of a widow and her son that never ran dry, then God can renew you, refill you, restore you, and use you again and again every single moment of your life. You say, I'm at my end. Hey, no, no, no. The end is eternal. It's eternity. The end actually even has no end. There's going to come a day that you spend eternity one place or the other. But the reality is the, the end of your labor on earth to the believer is the beginning of your labor with Christ for eternity. I believe we got a misconception of heaven. I think we're gonna, we think we're going to get there and everybody's just going to lay around, be fat and lazy. But I believe heaven's gonna be a place where a community actually functions, where life actually happens, where we live, we serve, and we enjoy worship as we live out our entire existence in the original intent of how God intended for us to live here. Now I'm telling you now, we look at this and we realize that sometimes we're gonna get up against a dark day and we're gonna have to believe that God can bring dead things back to life and create good things out of nothing. God can bring dead things back to life. You say, my husband's worthless. He can bring dead things back to life. 
You say my job is pointless. He can bring dead things back to life. And new things, good things, out of nothing. I mean, you gotta believe that your next moment could be the moment that God answers every prayer you've been praying. You gotta believe that while you're sitting here at church, and your loved one that you've been praying for that you don't know what's going on in their life that you're hoping somebody witnesses to right now could have come head-to-head contact with someone, a believer, or even this. The Bible says we entertain angels unaware. I believe this. If, if somebody, a believer, won't rise up and do what God wants to do, he can send an angel to do it or make a donkey do it. He can get it done. And while you're praying and believing and you're, you're, you're staying faithful, God's doing the work that you can't see and I can't see, but promise this, it will happen. He will make an opportunity. I want you to understand this. Believe this. God will make an opportunity for every lost person to have a chance to receive him. They have to make the choice. But know that God is not going to turn his back on you or them. He's going to give them a chance until the day they die. Until the day they go into eternity, that invitation is open. That gift is given. We are a church that, that I believe has some powerful people in it. And I believe the thing that holds us back the most is most of us in this room don't realize the power that God has given us because in the world's eyes, we may not be much. But in God's eyes, we're trophies worth dying for. And tattooed, engraved in his hand, written in his book of life, plans laid out before breath was taken. God sees a warrior in you. He sees a conqueror in you, a generation changer in you. But if we can't see him in us, we'll never see what he sees in us happen. And at some point, we gotta believe that God is for us. We sing that song where it says, he is for you. He is for you. He is for you. You know why that's important? I literally read a blog on this song where people, can I just, can I, I'm gonna meddle for a second. I have learned that Christians will attack anything. Anything that they get jealous of. And so understand this. I heard somebody say, we don't need to be preaching that God is for people because God is not for the way that people live. I agree with that. But God is for you or he would have never sent his son to die for you. And, 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 and look at this. If you go back to the beginning of this, it says Abraham was, in, in verse number one, humanly, humanly speaking, the founder of the Jewish nation. What did he discover about being made right with God? If, if his good deeds had made him acceptable to God, he would have something to boast about, but that's not God's way. For, for the scripture tells us Abraham believed God and God counted him as righteous because of his what? I'm going to tell you this right now. Stop trying to change your works before you change what you believe because your works will not change your relationship status with God, but your belief system will change everything. We keep saying it again and again. The change of behavior will last a little time, but the change of belief will last forever. You are a belief away from the best life you've ever had, a belief away from the strongest faith that anybody's ever seen. It is not about what you can do. It's about what you believe God can do in you right here, right now, in your life and through it. Abraham wasn't counted righteous because he was good. Abraham actually did something very stupid. His wife got together with him and said, let's come up with a plan because apparently God is not on our timing. It's the hardest thing I have with chapter number four of Romans. 
is there's no mention of Hagar at all. There's no mention of Ishmael at all. There's, there's no mention of the greatest mistake Abraham made. There's only a mention of the righteousness of God, the goodness of God, and how Abraham was righteous before God. Matter of fact, at the end of the chapter, there's some mind-blowing language about Abraham that I literally sat there and had to spend time in prayer saying, God, how can you say Abraham's faith never wavered? He had a Hagar. How can you say that he, he never lost sight of the promise when he did what he did with Hagar? Because my mind has been programmed humanly and in religion to believe that God is activated by what you do. That God believes in you based on how you behave. But God believes in you based on his promise. God believes in you based on what he's declared to be true over your life. If you look at this, it says, verse number four, when people work, their wages are not a gift, but something they've earned. But people are counted as righteous, not because of their work, but because of their faith in God who forgives sinners. There's the thing. I am thankful for this. There's a world of judgment out there, but there's only one seat of authority in the universe, and that is God's. Let the world condemn, God forgives. And I don't care what you walked in with today, it is not too dirty, too big, or too nasty for God to turn his back on you. He will not do it. He loves you, he cares for you, and he will forgive. Look at this, matter of fact, one of the greatest sinners in the Bible wrote this next little passage. David also spoke when he described the happiness of those who declared righteous without working for it. Here it is, ready? Oh, what joys for those whose disobedience is forgiven. Is there anybody in the room today that says amen to that? Thank you, God, that my disobedience is not what gives me a standing with you. Whose sins are put out of sight. Now I want you to close your eyes right here and I want you to bow your heads because I, I feel like some freedom's needed in the room and I know this is our live, our live one and, 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 and I'm just gonna invite you in your living room to do the same, just right there where you sit. How many of you have done the thing that has haunted you? Anybody got the regret in life that constantly comes back to your mind? Would you slip your hand up? The things that you wish you'd have never done, slip your hand up. Slip it up. How many of you allow that to hold you back and beat you up sometimes and make you feel unworthy? Would you slip your hand back up? How many of you have confessed it to God, said, God, I, I've done this, I'm guilty? How many of you have repented and, and therefore you no longer live in that sin? That sin is not alive in you. Would you slip your hand up? That is not an active sin that you're participating in. All right, here it is, ready? Then God has forgiven, not only forgiven, forgotten. And you and I are being held back by something that Satan keeps in our sight that is not in the sight of God. Look at me, and I want you to get this. If God can throw your sin as far as the east is from the west, then there's a lot of times we are praying and asking God to deliver us from a past regret that he has already forgotten about. And I'm calling you now, child of God, stop letting Satan lie to you any longer and keep in front of you what God has already put behind him. In the sight of God, you in your future 
If in a repented life and changed life is where you live, then God's grace and mercy has moved forward. Stop letting Satan turn you around. No man having put his hand to the plow, looking back is fit for the kingdom. Why? Because Satan wants you looking at where you cannot fix what God's wanting you to plow, what you've never even tried before. He's wanting you to experience what you've never experienced before and plant where you've never planted before. There's a season of hardest to come, but you got to believe. Look at the next thing. Yes, what joy for those whose record the Lord has cleared of sin. Does that mean you're perfect? Talk to me. No. The Bible says if you say you have no sin, you've deceived yourself. I mean, we're living a lie, true son. As a matter of fact, any one of us is capable of anything. Given the right situation, wrong situation, whichever way you want to say it, up against the, 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 the right amount of pressure in the moment of desperation, any of us can do anything. But the grace of God can rescue us from everything. Look at this in verse number nine. Now is the blessing only for the Jew, or is it also for the uncircumcised Gentiles? I love this. Well, we have been saying that Abraham was counted as righteous by God because of his faith, but how did this happen? Was he counted as righteous only after he was circumcised, or was it before he was circumcised? Clearly, God accepted Abraham before he was circumcised. Now, I'm not gonna get into this today. It's a big spiritual meaning, um, but circumcision was an identity factor in the Old Testament, and it, it was a difference of being clean and unclean. It no longer carries the same weight today, all right? And so I've heard this debate try to be brought up in real time. It is not, it, God does not look and say, you gotta be circumcised or uncircumcised, so don't freak out um, and, and have these moments. But in, in Joshua, it talks about the spiritual circumcision. And it, it talks about how the old flesh, the old me needs to die. It be, needs to be cut away and, and, and a new life has to become. Yeah, the, the circumcision we have today is not something that takes place physically. It's something that takes place spiritually where God comes in and it says, those who were dead in their trespasses and sin has he raised to life. The old becomes what? New. Believe me, it's very uncomfortable to use the word circumcision from the stage. I see you giggling, all right? But the thing is, is understand this. At some point of your life, some of your mindset's gotta change. Old ways of thinking gotta go. All right, and part, part of the, I think, the plague of the church is we wanna point out everybody else's sin because somehow we don't even believe that our sin has been dealt with. We carry guilt and shame instead of freedom and victory. We carry the where we've been instead of the where we are. We carry the who's we've been instead of who we belong to now. And at some point of our life, there's got to be a change in the mindset. And God says this, and this is what he's declaring. It didn't matter if Abraham was circumcised or uncircumcised. What God declared was Abraham was righteous because he believed God. Now look at the end and we'll be done. It goes on and it says in verse number 18, even when there was no reason for hope, Abraham kept hoping, believing that he would become the father of many nations. For God had said to him, that's how many descendants you will have. And I don't know if you're there at the place of no hope, but I want you to keep believing the promises of God. I believe the problem with the church is we don't know the promises of God and therefore we have nothing to believe in. I can't stress this enough. We have to return to a love for the word of God and we gotta know it and we gotta get it in us because that is what God uses to strengthen us and guide us and lead us. Abraham's faith did not weaken 
verse 19. Even though at about 100 years of age, he figured his body was as good as dead, and so was Abraham, or Sarah's womb. This is where I had my struggle moments. Abraham never wavered in believing God's promise. In fact, his faith grew stronger, and, and, and in this, he brought glory to God. He was fully convinced that God was able to do whatever he promised. And because of Abraham's faith, God counted him righteous. And when God counted him as righteous, it wasn't just for Abraham's benefit. It was recorded for our benefit too, assuring us that God will also count us as righteous if we believe in him, the one who raised Jesus from the dead. He was handed over to die because of our sin. And he was raised to life to make us right with God. The entire chapter doesn't contain the biggest mistake Abraham made. Matter of fact, it uses those never wavered. He was convinced. He had faith. And it made him righteous. And I'm going to tell you this. And I want you to get this. And this is what God gave me. Because even though Abraham chose his own way to get to God's plan, he still believed that God's plan was going to happen. Now, I don't know about you, but how many of you are like me where it's sometimes you get the vision of where God's taking you, but you get impatient on how long it's taking to happen? Yeah. You know that God's going to use you. You're just wondering when. I've seen a lot of people get out of ministry because they didn't have the patience to wait on God's perfect plan. Right? And in here, you got to understand that God is not looking for where Abraham messed up. God is looking for where Abraham believed. And even in an act of sin, he had a belief that God was going to use the sin. Now, here's the thing. I'm going to give you this because I know somebody's going to go out here and sin because they think they're helping God. Abraham literally believed and was convinced in his mind that what he was doing was right. And they lived in a generation to where it was kind of common to have multiple wives and multiple concubines and all kinds of different things that are not God's plan. There is no man in here that needs to go out and say, I'm gonna be like Abraham. You don't have that right. Are you with me? Abraham created his biggest nemesis and the, the nations that would hate the Israelites for all of history through his act of trying to do the will of God instead of letting God do his will in him. I want you to understand this. As a church, sometimes it is very tempting for me to say, forget doing it one way. Let's go do it the easy way. Can I tell you the easy way of growing church? Marketing and giveaways. We can market and give you something every time you walk in the door and bring them in. And maybe we should do more of getting the word out. But I'm going to tell you this right now. The best way to see somebody's life change is loving them to Jesus and then through Jesus, loving them through life. And if we're going to get anywhere in life, there's got to be community that's growing. There's got to be a unity that's growing. And we can go off here and, 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 and do all kinds of things that would just make sense. Or we can trust what God has called us to. It makes no sense to take some of the steps we're taking right now. It makes no sense when we're trying to raise money. Can I tell you this? We raised more money in a shorter amount of time for the recovery house than we've raised in a year for our building. I mean, it's just in six months for our building. And I look at that, I'm like, God, you gave us this vision. Why isn't it happening at the pace of which I want it to happen? Why isn't it going the way I want it to go? 
I mean, I get my car yesterday to drive home and I have the thought of, I don't wanna go home. And I know you may be thinking because I wanted to stay at the beach, but I just told you how much the beach freaks me out. But it's the fact that now I'm home and if I'm not careful, I got to spend uh, uh, several days, 13 days with my family from the time I got up to the time I went to bed. I got to see my little kids and play with them. I didn't have to hear my daughter ask me, dad, do you have to go to work or you stay in home today? I got to take my wife on two dates and, I, and then I had a jealous daughter who made me take her on two dates too. I got to spend that quality time and getting in that car. My mind is this, I don't wanna go back to the grind. And then I heard God say, you, you, you don't have to. You can go back and do what you know you need to do and believe that I have the rest instead of believing you have to work every single second of your life. You have to do every single thing in your life. Now, I don't know where you're at, but I think sometimes in our faith, we believe that if we don't do it, that God won't do it, and that's not true. If you just believe that God will and stay faithful to him, God will open the doors that need to be opened in your life, close the doors that need to be closed, move the mountains that need to be moved, and keep the mountains there that you need to climb. God is faithful today. And today, I'm not calling you to stop working because faith without works is what? I'm simply asking you to do this one thing. What is the reason why you're doing the things you're doing in life today? What is your why? Why are you getting up and going to work? Because if it's to pay bills, we might have lost sight of our why. I mean, anybody else in here, you work for your family? Come on, now where you at? Anybody else in here, you're, 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 you, you, how many of you, you, you came to church today, what is your why? Did you come because that's the thing you're supposed to do? That's why church is dead, because we feel like we're supposed to do it. Oh, we, we should come because I believe today that my kids are going to grow in a children's program as they're taught about the Lord. I believe that I grow when I'm around other believers and I believe that when believers get together, it really is the will of God for us to serve him through other people. And I believe that while we're together, Satan is scared out of his mind and works overtime to try to distract and to keep you from focusing on the things of God. Why are we here? Why do we do what we do? Is it because we're supposed to or is it because we believe that God is on the move and doing a work and gonna change things and rescue another person? Are we teaching a class out of obligation or are we going into a children's class, a small group? Are we going into our living rooms and our Bible studies because we we believe we're going to encounter God and lives are going to be changed, families rescued, things restored, hope found, addiction conquered, lives set up, and children raised to be warriors and champions of faith. Do we believe that God is going to show up? Because if we did, we would come with expectation and things would be different. We would, we would get into the water knowing something's about to happen. We would find joy in the journey. We'd stop crashing in the waves and rest on them. Freaking out about life and living it. In Ecclesiastes chapter three, y'all know this passage and I'll close with it. 
For everything in life, there is a season. Matter of fact, can we go there real quick? I didn't plan on this. Can we audible real fast and we'll close? After verses one through eight, where he gives us this compare contrast, there's a time to heal, a time to die, a time to cry, and a time to laugh. There's, there's back and forth, back and forth. Look at verse number nine. What do people really give for all their hard work? I've seen the burden God has placed on all of us. Yet God has made everything beautiful. What's this? Say that louder to Sandy. For its own time. He has planted eternity in the human heart. But even so, people cannot see the whole scope of God's work from beginning to end. In other words, there's a lot of things in life you're just not going to understand. You just got to believe him. So I concluded, there is nothing better. Will somebody please read this with me. Than to be happy and enjoy ourselves as long as we can I, I literally am going into a Bible study in my own life, and I normally don't put this out there, on where is my happy? Where is happiness? Now, we know joy is not based on circumstance. Happiness is. But when we bring joy into circumstances, even negative circumstances can produce happiness as we grow through them. He says, hey, enjoy yourselves as long as we can. In verse 13, people should eat and drink and enjoy the fruits of their labor. Here's where it got me. For these are gifts from God. I have three beautiful gifts from God right now. I took my daughter... On a, a, a late date, the very last night we were there, she walked into the bathroom as we were getting ready for a date the night before, and she looked at mom, and she looked at dad, and she goes, why are you two dressed? Where are you going? Um, we're going on a date. I want to go. You, yeah, I want to go on a date. Okay, we'll go. Tomorrow night, I'll take you, and we'll get some ice cream. About 9 o'clock that night, 8 o'clock that night, she goes, you promised to take me to get ice cream. And I'm immediately reminded three months ago of a message I preached from this stage that if you promised to get your kids ice cream out of church, what should you do? So I was like, okay, let's go. So I said, just let's go in your jammies. You can't go on a date in your jammies. She said, what are people going to say? I said, well, what do we need to wear? I need a dress which means daddy's gotta go get dressed. As I sat there and my daughter's face was covered in midnight blue Ben and Jerry ice cream, she's smiling back at me. It hit me. Right now she wants to date daddy. In a few years, she'll wanna date someone else. And I just don't want to watch her walk out the door and get in the car with a little boy or a little, and go down the road, a young man, better be a believer, he's going to die. And I don't want to sit there and look at that moment and wish that I had had more dates with my daughter. I don't want to look at my 75-year-old wife one day and wish I'd had more dates with her. 
Are you with me? You know why I believe religion has gotten so hard? We've lost sight of what faith is all about. And faith produces the greatest gift that God has given all of us, and that is love. And that love covers all sin. That love conquers all fear. That love drives it out. And then what First John teaches us today. And it is supposed that Solomon wrote Ecclesiastes, which would mean the wisest person that's ever lived, wrote these words that said people should eat and drink and enjoy the fruits of their labor, for these are gifts from God. And I, I'm going to tell you this. Here's why we don't. Because we don't have faith in God, and we believe it's all up to us. It's not. It's all up to him. Your eternity is based on Jesus, not you. Believe in him, and eternity is secure. Your prosperity is based on the plan and will of God, not you. Believe in him and be faithful and watch him work that out. The prosperity of this church and the change in this church is not based on our programs or how good and talented we are. It's based on the will of God. And why would God start a church to kill it? God would only do something that he wants to see himself made known. And so today, I don't have to walk in with the pressure of everything working right. Today, let's just walk in and say, it's good to be in a house full of people that love the Lord and let's just enjoy it. Let's just celebrate the goodness of God. And at some point, let's stop trying to be perfect and let's just say, I'm thankful for what I got. Thankful for where I am. Thankful for the gifts that God has given. So what is your why? What is your why? Without faith, this life is meaningless and pointless. But if I have faith, I can enjoy this life. We can have fun and that not be a bad thing. We can make mistakes and know that we're not forgotten and abandoned. That when God has someone else write the story of our lives, he leaves the worst part out and brings out the highlights of himself. And I'm thankful that I'll stand before God under the blood of Jesus Christ and not under condemnation for the disobediences of my life. God is good. I'll promise you this. If you believe in someone, you'll do more for that person. And if we believed in God, the works would follow. It'd become natural. So bow your heads, close your eyes. Would anybody join me today in this admission? I'm missing out on the best part of life because I'm putting too much pressure on me and not enough faith in God. Anybody else see a hand in the air and say, yes, that is me. I'm missing out on the best part of life because I'm putting too much faith in me, too much pressure and not enough on God. Then let's call you to freedom. Abraham was counted righteous because he believed. And whether that was you or not, and that first question, is there anybody in the house that maybe would lift a hand in a prayer that sounds like this to God? God, help my unbelief. Help my unbelief to trust you more in the areas that I have forgotten you. To live more in the abundance of what you've given me instead of the pressures of where I feel like I fall short. God, help me to believe more.
and your goodness. And here's the prayer. I prayed this morning on the way to church. God, may everything I do today be because you are my why. You are why we want to love someone. Share your word, sing, proclaim. You are my why. Is there anybody here today say, yes, God, help my unbelief. Would you slip a hand up today? Anybody at all? I want to pray for you. Would you pray with me? Yes, there's many of you. Would you stand and grab somebody's hand? Let's close in a word of prayer. I want a childlike faith that enjoys the water, not freaks out over it. Help our childlike faith, God, help us enjoy life instead of living freaked out. He's got you. He believes in you. He is for you. He is for you. He is for you. Rest today. Claim a Sabbath today. Just bask in the fact that God already has next week. All you got to do up is get, get up every day and believe and trust and just follow through. God has it. Don't miss out on your gifts that has God, has, God has given you. Amen.